Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Boostar and this week we head to Los Angeles, California and sit down with Noah Weinman from the band Runner, an artist who started the group as a project to simply learn a new skill and over time has gained recognition and popularity while building off a platform of vulnerability and honesty. Enjoy. I think that there is, you know, definitely something that's always been kind of isolated about the music. Um, Strangely enough, I feel like during this time I've been less isolated because I've been living with my girlfriend. Um, But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed in like the way that COVID has affected the way that I've been writing songs is I've been writing much softer and more kind of like finger pick acoustic-y stuff. Um, Whereas I think sometimes before, like, as I was writing a song, I would already be hearing it like in a band setting, playing it live. Um, But with that kind of off the table for the foreseeable future, um, just like the way I've been playing and the way I've been writing seems a lot more kind of like subdued sonically, but content wise, you know, pretty similar. And uh, workflow-wise, probably, like, you know, there are less things going on in my day-to-day life that I feel I can, I'm, like, inspired to write about. So I've really taken this time to catch up on recording songs that I had written before, but never got around to recording. Nice. Yeah, so it's been a lot of that, like, digging through the, the iPhone voice memos and being like, oh, that's kind of a good song, let me, like flesh that one out and see how it goes. Sure. And that whole, I mean, the process of that, is that kind of like something, you know, inspiration sparks and you kind of just put it into the memos thing and kind of leave it there and see like, you know, if you come back to it kind of thing, is that sort of the uh, songwriting process or is it, you know, pen and paper? How does that look? Um, Usually like, it'll just be this kind of Frankenstein thing of uh, one little idea, like a riff or something that I'll just like play or record um, into my phone and it'll kind of exist isolated from everything else. And all the pieces will kind of just be lying around. And then usually what gets me going to write like the whole song and what like it hears it all together um, is the title, which is uh, from all of my other friends that write music, they think that this is like the weirdest thing, but I, I tend to write music title first Hmm. or I like have the title to the song and suddenly like, I know exactly like which like lyric fragments from my notebook fit into that. And like, which uh, like little um, melodic sketches from my, like if I have or haven't recorded them, it doesn't really matter if I remember them. Um, And everything just kind of seems to come together under that umbrella. And that's not to say how I write every song. um, But most songs I write, I feel like come about that way. Sure. That's that's interesting. That's a really like somewhat different way of um, songwriting. Has that, I mean, I'd love to just, you know, rewind a little bit and go back to, you know, growing up in LA. What a you know, what sort of thing got you into music and what was the initial process of like getting into songwriting and wanting to do this and pursue it? I think I initially really got into music in probably like fifth or sixth grade. Um, I was just thinking about it earlier. Like I was watching MTV and stuff like that. And it was like a lot of kind of pop punk bands that got me wanting to play guitar and I had like a band in sixth grade um and we would do like a weird combination of like Green Day covers but then also like REM covers and like Beatles covers (laughs) (laughs) um and then I kind of like 
moved away from like guitar music for a little while. Um, I went to like a high school that I, that wasn't like the most music engaged and kind of the only way that I could like have like a music program was if I was in jazz band. So I kind of became more focused on like playing jazz trumpet for a while. Um, and like being in a band and like writing songs kind of exited the picture. Um, but in the back of my mind, I feel like I knew that was what I wanted to do. There just didn't feel like there was an opportunity to do it at that time. Um, and I thought that I was going to be like serious about jazz and go to conservatory or do something like that. Um, which I ended up not doing. And, uh, I kind of came back to songwriting in college when, you know, I felt like maybe I had, I was like old enough that I had something to say. Whereas mm -hmm. like anything I tried to write in high school, I kind of was like, Oh, this is dumb. And I didn't really like push it much further than that. Sure. Um, was that like a thing of with the songs when you were younger and not feeling like you, I don't know. Was it just a matter of, you know, not, being confident in like the songwriting or was it sort of just, you know, being a, I don't know, a situation of not really understanding like what your idea or the image you wanted to portray behind your music was? Um, I guess kind of both. Like I definitely, I felt like I could write a song. I just like didn't know what to write a song about. Mm. Um, and, you know, feeling nervous, feeling if I like wrote something that was too personal that I would be like made fun of or something. Sure. Um, which I think everybody can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just like, didn't really try, but then, and there weren't like other kids at my high school that played in bands. So it just didn't seem like a thing hmm. to me. But then when I got to college, there were a lot of people playing in bands and I was like, oh Yeah. I used to dream about this when I was in like sixth grade. So I kind of came back to it. Um, and that's really when I started like writing again and being a little more serious about it. And I wasn't kind of committed to like going for it as a career until I was like almost done with college and thinking like, well, I don't know what else I would want to do. So I might as well go for this. <laughs> yeah. What were you um, like studying in school and stuff? Just to um, I was a I was a political science major. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Which I kind of which I kind of wish I had done something else, but it's okay. It was a liberal arts school, so it's not like it was a huge part of my curriculum. It's just at the end of the day, what I have to say in response to that question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, yeah. So towards the end, when you were kind of like thinking of you know, maybe pursuing this full time and going into music, what, you know, what did that look like? Was it, uh, people around you, like finding a band and kind of doing that? Or was it a solo situation where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own and just go for it. I think it was like, I really wanted it to be a band. Hmm. Um, but being in a band is hard. And I think that, you know, everybody kind of wants different things. And what I really wanted was to like, just be like playing as many basement shows as I could, just like driving around doing that. And then like taking stints off and like working a restaurant job because I would have probably like burned all my money doing <laughs> these basement shows or whatever. Um, and I really like envisioned doing that with like a group of friends, but I didn't really have like, I guess other people that felt the same way. So it kind of just like drifted into being more of a solo project. Um, were you but, still uh, able to do the basement shows and everything? Were you able to still go down that Avenue? Yeah, I did that for a little while. Um, I think that, you know, that's definitely like a brute force way to do it. And I think that as I kind of like progressed, I saw that, you didn't have to just do it that way. I still love doing that, but I think that I was like only focused on that. So I uh, diverted my attention a little more towards like learning how to make good recordings and kind of thinking a little bit more 
along those lines because like producing music was an absolute afterthought mm. to me. Right. Um, I didn't start producing until Runner started like three years ago. So I was playing in bands before and just thinking that like the live show and like that was going to be the end all be all of it. Sure. Um, and was and that then, sort of like a production kind of like save it for the like studio people kind of thing and it wasn't ex- just like your ex- thing to touch? Yeah. Um, but then I ended up like never making any recordings that I liked and I was getting so frustrated so I just decided, like, if I'm really going to do this, I have to, you know, learn how to do these things that are frustrating me. Yeah. So I kind of, Runner kind of started just as like a way for me to practice producing. And then it kind of grew into my main thing. Sure. So for this, like, you were, um, I mean, you're paying for like studio time and recording and everything and you get the product back and you're like, oh, this isn't kind of how I envisioned it. And you sort of just wanted to take it into your own hands and kind of have more control over the situation. Exactly. And I think that I was like, you know, really buying into this idea that there's like a right way and a wrong way to do it. Mm. And um, going to a studio and doing that felt like the right way. And then I was like confused when the products weren't what I wanted them to be. So like, maybe this isn't the right way, but this feels like a way for at least me to figure out at what stage in the process things are going awry. And then, you know, now it really feels like the only way I can make music. Yeah. Does it, um, you know, is it you making your own like studio, like home studio situation and soundproofing and buying like mics and mixers and all that? Is that the process of that or is it... Yeah, I mean, it's not soundproofed and I'm not using like great equipment. I one day hope to like get a nice mic and stuff, but pretty much everything on a runner track is recorded with a 57. (laughs) Um, Like a Shure SM57 microphone? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Same ones that they use for like live shows and everything. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what I use for everything. Yeah. Wow. Is there uh, okay. like a process in the beginning where you kind of feel like overwhelmed with just? It seems like I don't know that it's always a tricky like rabbit hole. I think even with you know me getting into like podcasting and different things like that, I have this like you know, you hop on YouTube and you see these people and they're like, Oh, this is, you know, the best mic you can buy. And this is the mixer that you need. And this is the, you know, all this like Mm -hmm. gear and different things. And it kind of loses touch of like the concept of like, Hey, you need great content. Like you can have amazing equipment and have nothing to say and no one will listen to your shit, you know, but like you need to have great content. And was there a part of you that was like, Oh, I, I mean like, fuck it. I don't need like amazing equipment. I just want my talent and my music and, you know, my message behind what I'm creating to be the main focus of everything. Um, yeah, I think it was like, you know, that makes it sound like I was like really confident in what I was making. And I think the truth is that I wasn't that confident. I was just like, I couldn't have more decisions to be made. I run into that with like everything. Like if I, I was just like, no, I'm not getting a mic. I'm just using the mic that I have. And like I know when I was getting in production, like a lot of people were recommending like different sample packs and different plugins and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I couldn't even go down that rabbit hole. That I could put on the process or like, I guess, engineering limitations would just allow me to actually finish something regardless of how good I thought it was. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I definitely can get overwhelmed with all of that. And I've been thinking about like upgrading at least for like a vocal mic, but I still am having trouble like bringing myself to pull the trigger on anything. I like do research Mm -hmm. and I just, I don't know. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. Yeah, for sure. Does it, um, I don't know. do, Do you feel sort of like uninhibited by your like ability to create music because of that reason you don't have like this extra layer of like stuff to worry about um at this point i think so 
like um i just really feel comfortable with the gear i have in a way that feels like a little more fluent and i know that i have tried using other mics at other times and i end up being like a little bit confused it's like oh it's not exactly getting the tone that i thought that it would um and then i'm kind of scratching my head again uh so it's just like the known entity of the equipment I have is definitely like a better feeling in terms of like translating an idea of a song into a finished product. Sure. Cool. So then, um, you know, you're in college and you're starting like to make music and everything was runner kind of just after playing in several bands and sort of, you know, what you were saying there was kind of wanting to get into production and then sort of, was it like ditching those bands and kind of like starting your own thing or was it sort of uh, like bringing them along and kind of being like, Hey, do you want to join me on this new adventure kind of thing? I think it was a lot of like um, overlap. There's a time uh, after college cause runner started after I left college. Um, and I was like living in LA and I was probably playing in like eight to 10 other bands. Wow. <laughs> and also doing runner stuff and like i would get friends from those other bands to like come and play with me and sometimes record and do stuff and it kind of like has that kind of ebb and flow collective feel Mm -hmm. um and it was helpful also because in the beginning when i had a lot of production questions there were other people in these bands that were like much more experienced producers and really kind of helped me um more in just like mentorship ways rather than like actually playing um and then yeah at the end of the day i was still mostly just working on the runner stuff when i was at home alone and then obviously this year like over the course of last year i had kind of like stopped playing in so many bands and then this year it's really just been recording nice and then with runner what was the and I'm trying to like word this in a non like you've got this question a million times sort of thing, but mm-hmm. like the mentality going into it and you know, what differentiated that band from like all the other bands that you've done and what made it want to be like the main band that you wanted to, you know, focus and devote your energy to? Um, well, it was definitely like the first one that really felt like my project where I was like writing all of the songs and stuff. Um, whereas like before I was either like, participating in the writing processes or like writing some of the songs. Um, And I think like the big mental shift for me was the initially runner was just going to be a recording project. And I like was going to learn how to produce, even if it meant that these songs were like never going to be performable, Mm. if that makes sense, which is like the total inverse of how I had been viewing music before. Right. So I was really just like experimenting. Um, And what ended up happening was that like, I felt like I could develop these two skill sets kind of independently from each other. Like any runner song exists as both a live version that's kind of like always changing depending on the, the personnel and the performance and stuff. And then the recorded version, which is just also like a, a timestamp because if I record the song like five months later, it would probably end up sounding different. Um, And kind of like thinking about the songs that way, um, which for one took a lot of the pressure off of making those recordings and doing those performances because like no individual version of a song felt like it had to be the version, Mm. um, which was liberating for someone who was like struggling to make any version. Right. And then I think that it also really freed me up to make the songs interesting. And I kind of just like the one rule I was trying to adhere to is like, whatever sounds best. Um, Like if that song in its recorded version doesn't have any guitar or drums or like something that like would obviously be present in the live version, but if the recorded version sounds better without it, like don't, let that hinder the song just like let the recorded version be whatever it wants to be 
Um, and that was like a big mental shift that I like applied to this project and still do. Right. Was it hard to kind of like switch the, you know, the mindset and kind of think of recording and music and bands and, you know, something that you love so much to just think of it completely differently and to switch up your mindset about your approach to creating music? Um, yes, definitely in the beginning. If you, if you go back to like old runner recordings, um, there are like still aspects of the live sound that I'm like clinging to. And when I listen to them now, I kind of wish that I had been able to kind of leave that behind. Um, I think the most obvious one to me is like just volume, like letting a song kind of like be a little bit quieter. Cause when I play live, you know, you just want to play loud. And then mm -hmm. sometimes you really want to just uh, like embody that in the recording. But um, loudness in a recording is very hard to achieve. Like that full band sound. <laughs> Does it, um, I don't know, I'm curious too also about like, you know, Eggshell, like we talked about previously being like a really vulnerable song. And you talked about earlier when you were younger and, you know, not wanting to write songs because of that sense of vulnerability. And there's, I don't know, I think that's what really connects me to that song, at least, you know, like lyrics, like I'm keeping it close to the surface, but it's not really making it hurt less and different things like that, which I think a lot mm -hmm. of people will listen to and go like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's me you know that's mm -hmm. a ton of people um you know if you just going in like the wrong songwriting process of you know that song specifically uh i think it's just you know layered with a ton of vulnerability in this you know sort of approach to like depression and anxiety and different emotions that people deal with um and it's sort of timeless in a way you know especially during this pandemic you know which is now and the song was written a little while ago mm -hmm. You know, does it, was this one of the first songs where it felt like you're being completely vulnerable and putting yourself out there? And what did that feel like? Um, it was definitely one of the first songs. I think like there's a record before that EP that's no longer on streaming services. Um, and some of those songs have been like what I've been re-recording this year. And I think those songs also kind of embody that, like some of the first times that I really let myself be vulnerable in music um and it's definitely it's kind of scary and i think the thing that was always hardest for me is like i worried less about like strangers listening to those songs and like you know having some sort of opinion about me because like to them it's just a song mm -hmm. and i think what like let me be more vulnerable is that i was like no longer in like a school setting or some sort of like small community where I felt like the only people that would consume the music I made were people that knew me mm. personally. Mm -hmm. Like it's easier for me to like get up on stage and sing to a bunch of strangers than it would for me to like talk about like my anxiety to like 10 of my friends. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that it is kind of um, a strange feeling to know that like that vulnerability exists somewhere like 99% of the time without uh any context of myself and that is probably more comfortable for me hmm. <laughs> does it um i don't know I, I know numbers are always just kind of in a not necessarily always like the best indication or whatever, but like is it is interesting to see like, you know, you being really, really vulnerable and seeing this um, song and it's, you know, has like 1.7 million plays and, you know, it's very well received. And, mm -hmm. you know, what was that like initially to create something and then see it, you know, take off the way that it did and have the reception that you received from it? Um. You know, it definitely feels good. It feels good to be seen in that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. like that song definitely came out of a time when I really felt invisible, kind of. Sure. Like, um, I was working as a waiter, and I was, like, only working night shifts. So it would be, like, 6 to midnight. Um, 
every weekend night and some weeknights. And I was just kind of like drifting around. All my roommates worked during the day. All my friends worked during the day. And I was just like very much alone. And that song kind of felt like a way for me to like reach out and just be like, this is how I'm feeling. Um, so it does. I remember like when it first came out and it first like started to like get some traction. I, I just described it as like, you know, it, it feels good to be heard and to like know that like whatever I'm feeling is uh, pretty universal. Yeah, definitely. Did it feel, I don't know, I mean, did it set like a precedent for you to, I don't know, were you like, oh, okay, I need to be vulnerable in all of my songs now? Is there that like weird concept of like wanting to, I don't know, continue that tra trajectory in a way? Or was it sort of like, oh, that's cool. Um, now I've been seen and I've been heard and now I can continue to be my like authentic self and continue to do what I like, you know, wanted to do. Um, I think in a way, but I also think that like, there were some songs that I had written and put out before that, that obviously didn't have like the same amount of traction that Eggshell did. But I remember like being able to play that lot, play those songs live and have that connection. Um, and I think that, so that, that kind of like lesson that I learned or whatever from that song about like, you know. The value of being vulnerable i think i like already kind of learned before that song mm -hmm. um it is a hard standard to apply to like everything sure i'm yeah. writing in the future of like trying to tell myself like is this as honest and vulnerable as i can be mm. um because then i feel like i might not finish anything <laughs> um, right. yeah. but uh it's definitely like since I started writing songs like for this project runner and like I took some of the songs that are part of like the catalog technically predate the project. And those are all the songs that I'd written before that I thought were too vulnerable to be heard at the time. Mm. So I think that like the whole project has always been me kind of forcing myself to be a little more vulnerable. Um, not only because I know that it like makes for better music, but it also just kind of feels better. Um, it feels better to, to put those things out there in a way as kind of just like journal entries, even just for myself. Like I can like go back and like play an old song and be like, Oh yeah. Like I still feel that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And for, I mean, just one last thing on the song. So you said you do the title first and then you write the lyrics. Yeah. Ironically though, this is one of the exceptions. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was curious. Which so is, I was like eggshell. It's like, it's funny though. Cause that one is to me so obvious, like that could have so easily been title first. Mm. Um, but it wasn't, I think that um, my, my Ableton file for that song is called kitchen anxiety. Cause I knew like the, uh, the angle and the concept, but I didn't have like the title for it. And the lyric was already in the song, the I'm cracking eggshells in the pan. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't until later, like I had like finished recording the whole version and I listened back and I was like, Oh, the song should be called eggshell. Nice. That's but cool. that's like that's one of the notable exceptions to that rule right thanks and then i mean i guess with like influences and stuff that you go into and you know are you big on like just sitting down listening to albums you said you read is that like a big thing too that you sort of draw inspiration from um yeah i think that uh reading definitely like if I'm reading um, something and there's like a, an interesting turn of phrase, like that will be the most palpable thing that like inspires a song. Um, but I do listen to a lot of records and I think lately as I've like leaned more into like the production side of things, 
um, I have like gotten better at like hearing something in a recording and being like, oh, that's cool. How could I make something similar? Whereas before I would listen to a recording and be like, oh, that's a magic thing that I will never be able to replicate. So I'll just <laughs> keep doing it however I do it. Mm. But definitely like in the beginning and still a lot now, like I would read a lot of um, short stories. That's kind of mostly what I read. Mm. And because um, they feel like songs to me, like sure. just uh, uh, the way that a song like explores a theme without fully defining every aspect of it. Um, I think about a lot. Someone told me uh, a poem is about a subject the way a cat is about a house. Hmm. And I think about that all the time. That's definitely like a very important quote in my life. Um, And it's just liberating um, for making music because I feel like I can explore a theme without like having a thesis about it or like a fully defined viewpoint it's just kind of like a little exploration yeah in the way that i feel like a short story is as well sure it's interesting what do you um i don't know what what have been some like books that you've been reading or short stories that you've been reading lately um right now i'm reading uh white teeth by zadie smith nice i like Um, zadie smith yeah i like that book that's like you know it's a novel but it has like so many characters that it feels kind of just like a a bunch of short stories it's like so many different parts sure um so that's been good um i've read some like funny other things this year that i like really enjoyed i like devoured kitchen confidential by anthony bourdain over the summer in like a weird way of like me missing being a waiter somehow probably yeah. <laughs> That um, book's amazing. That's like one of my favorite books too. That's crazy. Yeah. Those people. Um, his audible um, is really crazy too because he's like reading it. And I remember listening to oh, it like really? after he passed away and just having this like weird, like just emotional breakdown. I was like, oh fuck, this is too much, you know? Like and just having yeah. to like pause for a second and like go back to it later. But I, I should listen to that. Yeah. He's, he's such a good writer and you almost wouldn't amazing. expect it. Yeah. No, totally. Um, and he has and those, then, like, you can see his influences, too, I think. You know, with, like, uh, Hemingway and um, Hunter S. Mm-hmm. Thompson and these, like, he's almost like an extension of that in a way, which I think, like, you know, sort of died out in a way when yeah. you know, Hunter died. And I feel like that whole, yeah. like, just, like, balls-to-the-wall sort of, like, mentality about life was kind of just muted in a way. And I think he yeah. was one of those people that very much, you know, adopted that and, like, ran with it and just always had that with him even though he was you know like he could be having lunch with uh you know obama in vietnam or whatever but he still has that like punk rock mentality even in the face of like very like proper individuals you know Mm -hmm. yeah like that and i like i haven't read any hunter s thompson so it's kind of funny like i know that that's like the next step for me if i like enjoyed that so I'll probably dive into that. But yeah, I was just like really surprised by how much I enjoyed because I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, and I think the the best thing that I read this year uh, were these two short novels by uh, this author named Max Porter. And he wrote a book called Lanny and a book called Grief is a Thing with Feathers. Hmm. And they were like, they're really short and they're really kind of... Um, you know, loose kind of unstructured prose stuff. And uh, my girlfriend turned me on to them and they were just really incredible, like super inventive and very inspiring. Nice. It's cool. Does it, um, I don't know, when you, you know, when you were a waiter during that period of time when you were like writing songs and stuff like that, has that also translated to you know, this like whole period of time, has it been kind of like working a job and doing music on the side or has music kind of become the main, you know, main thing now? Yeah. I mean, music became the main thing, like right as COVID was starting, I was like, I left, I quit my restaurant job a week before like the full pandemic really started. Wow. Yeah. Um, which 
you know, if I had stayed for one more week, I could have gotten unemployment benefits, but that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but um, I think that music had always been the main thing to me and the restaurant job was a side thing. Mm-hmm. Like I never wanted to have a job that I couldn't just like quit. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely nice to not have to go to the restaurant. Sure. Because there were there were some days that, you know, just it gets so hard and you just like you start questioning everything. And I still have those days, but at least when I have those days, I'm at home and I don't have to like bring somebody their like $20 hamburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is the um, um so you would, you know, work that and then come home and write songs and it's not really like a nine to five and it's not really like a just weekdays kind of thing you're just working whatever sort of right yeah i mean most of like like that dark time that like a lot of those earlier songs came out of i was working closing shifts exclusively because i had initially opted into that because i wanted time to record during the day and then that got tricky once i started playing more shows so then it kind of became a mix but um it was, it was like the inverse, I think, of what a lot of people expect that lifestyle to be like, which is like you come home from work and then you do your creative stuff. Mm. I was like, you know, trying to do my creative stuff during the day before I had to go to work for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, and that was hard to do because I would be stressed about like getting it done within the day to the extent that I wasn't really getting anything done. And then it felt like I was like slowly drifting into becoming more waiter than musician. Um, and yeah. And like going back to actually like that first line, like I'm sleeping later every day. was kind of that, that really like was how I felt. Like I would get home at like one in the morning and I would tell myself that I would like get up at nine and start working on music. But like, I just like didn't have the motivation mm. sometimes. And it's hard. And I know that like coming back, coming home from work and working on stuff like that was also, you know, just as hard, but there was something like weird about trying to do it before you had to go to work that it just felt like uncommon. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Which felt really isolating. I think at the time, cause I was like, does anyone else do it like this? <laughs> sure. I think also just, I mean, I mean, for me personally, it's hard for, I don't know. I, I maybe like, didn't have the right mindset, but it's like almost before work, you're thinking of like, oh, fuck, I've worked tonight, you know? And then you get home and it's almost like, I felt like it got into a cycle of like working constantly where it's like, oh, I work in the morning, I work, you know, later in the day. And it's like, you just kind of fitting in the creative time <laughs> in between what like your main, you know, like thing in life is, which is kind of rough when you don't want it to be, you know, working at a restaurant or like for me I was working like retail a lot and just sort of that mentality of you know yeah waking up doing that and then coming home and trying to do something creative but just being like exhausted mentally and physically and just trying to like force it almost and making something that wasn't genuine in a way yeah and like I think also sometimes like the double-edged sort of like having a job like that gives you like a little bit more free time than if you worked like a proper nine to five, but sure, then yeah. it gives you like a lot more unstructured time, which is sometimes hard to like will yourself to be productive in if you're exhausted Yeah, from like working on your feet all day, doing like a retail or a restaurant job or something. Definitely. And I think unstructured time is an interesting thing because I feel like a lot of people are dealing with that right now when it comes to mm-hmm. just like the pandemic you know it's like you're not in an office anymore you're not in a classroom anymore and you're sort of on your own schedule yeah. on your own time and you're still required to get the same amount of work done but it's not structured in the same way and I think as much as people initially maybe were more productive in a way possibly I think at least for me personally it becomes something where you just like pick up these bad habits and start to like I don't know, drift away from like what you should be doing. And it seems almost more difficult. And then you're like, oh, fuck, do I need like structure in more in a way? Yeah. Just like, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that like something that maybe I'm kind of grateful for, for is that I felt like I was already living that kind of lifestyle before. So I like 
shifting into this hasn't been that difficult because I feel like my whole life has already been like artificially imposing structure into like just a an endless blob. <laughs> yeah. What have been like your are the things that you learned initially that would be like helpful to someone who's maybe listening and it's like, oh, that's me right now. And I would love to learn more about like, you know, being able to do that properly and efficiently and in a way where it doesn't feel forced or, you know, fake. Yeah. I think like small, like attainable little tasks definitely keep me going like if I'm like oh like I'm just gonna like record like the vocals and the guitar on this one song today and like that's it um and kind of keeping it like that uh and a big thing I think that I learned um I had a creative writing professor in college who used to write three pages a day and then no matter what he would end at the bottom of the third page. And he said that it was better if he ended mid-sentence because then when he comes back the next day, he knows where to start. Hmm. Um, And I think that I kind of carry that into music, which is like, I never liked stopping when I felt like so frustrated. Hmm. I liked stopping more when I felt really excited about something. Sure. Because then I was like eager to come back to it. Yeah. Um. And then I think just like being, being both realistic and and unrealistic with yourself, like saying that you're going to do all these things is obviously important than like never even trying. Um, And like giving it an earnest try, but then also like, if you're really not feeling it that day, like it's okay. You don't have to force it. Right. Totally. That's interesting. I think too is, um, what did I see? I saw like a masterclass on like David Sedaris, who's like a super rad. Mm-hmm. I love writer. David Sedaris. Yeah, he's super cool. And he talked about how he would just like journal everything that's happening in his life. And I, I thought it was interesting because he almost viewed like, you know, hardships or different things that would happen in your life as like gold. You know, he's like, oh, something really shitty happened to you or like someone you know or something like that. Like that's perfect for writing you know and it's Mm -hmm. like that's what you almost want to like um aspire to have in your life is like weird interesting stuff like that you know and i thought that was yeah really crazy and i think you know i don't know the tough thing is like i saw something like that and i was like oh fuck yeah i can do it you know and you feel inspired in a way to do it and then over time it becomes something that like gets more and more tiresome and laborious in a way which is always like I think difficult, it almost is like, you know, working out or something, you know, where it's like you're motivated in the beginning and then eventually it starts to fade in a way. And has that ever been something for you where you feel like you almost hit a wall where you're just kind of like unmotivated to keep going or? Um, I think that I've definitely like struggled pretty hard with not being able to write things at uh, different points of my life. Um, And I, you know, I think that motivation is not always something I struggle with, but like patience is. Um, And sometimes they feel like they work against each other. Like if I'm super motivated and I just keep like pushing it and pushing it, like I'll get something done. But if I'm a little more patient with it, I'll probably finish something better. Mm. Um, So motivation is a tough one for me because like once the ball is rolling, I feel like I don't really need an extra push to get doing it, but I do need something. And I guess like that's a way like I'm trying to motivate myself to be a little more patient with things at times. Sure. Yeah. Um, But like I still go running every day. And I always think with running, it's like the hardest part of running is like when you come back to running after having stopped running, but it's easy if you just do a little bit like five days a week. Yeah. Wow. And I try to, I try to do that with music. Nice. Is that the, like, are you a big runner? Is that kind of like the idea behind the name of the band and the group and the project? I mean, like it is in that, like, I wanted to have something that was like, so 
uninvasive. Like usually if people ask like the name or the story behind the name, I just like don't answer it because like what if they're thinking of something, it's probably more interesting than whatever the truth is. Right. Yeah, um, but yeah, I do see them, you know, being somewhat related as just like, like constants that I'm trying to create in my life. Hmm. Like making music every day. Yeah. Um, which is something that I, I try to do, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Sure. And then I guess with, you know, going forward in this year, um, you know, what does it look like? What is, you know, you're going, coming back to LA, right? And you're sort mm -hmm. of um, continuing to record and do all that. And is it going to be just pushing out more projects and just, you know, treating it similar to last year in a way? Yeah, um, there's some exciting stuff that I'm not officially allowed to talk about yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, there'll be some releases. And definitely just, I anticipate that once this pandemic kind of starts to subside, that touring is going to come back in like a huge way. Mm, yeah. So I'm really just trying to like, get as much recording done before that and then kind of be like sitting on a lot of recordings so that I'm not like super stressed out with like touring and recording at the same time. Sure. Um, in the future. And, uh, that's been fun. It's been keeping me busy and, uh, you know, I just really love recording. So it's one of my favorite ways to just like spend a whole day. Yeah, definitely. As this, um, you know, obviously not being able to like hang out with people that you generally would maybe make the albums with. And has that forced you to kind of like think of different ways of recording or has it sort of been just like a guitar and vocal kind of thing? And um, I've gotten my, f I've gotten a couple people to record some things remotely. Oh, okay. Um, but it also has been kind of nice and that like, it's just another restriction. And I feel like I really like adding restrictions to my workflow. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems like, so I'm like, Oh, like I can play this, but I know someone else that could play it a little bit better, but like, I'm just going to go for it because I'm here right now and I can't really have that other thing. And it's not worth going through like the whole process of like getting someone to remote record something. Mm -hmm. So like it really has to be needed for me to ask for that like yeah. an instrument that I can't play or like something that I just really can't do. Sure. Um, so these like upcoming recordings will definitely have like me doing just about everything, um, which has been, you know, fun and liberating in its own way. Cause I've been able to like play something as well as I can and be okay with that because I know that there's not really an alternative. <laughs> sure. Yeah, totally. It's interesting. Do you ever like hop on the trumpet ever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. All the time. Um, it's definitely in a fair amount of tracks that have come out. Sometimes I really like hide it and it like sounds like a synth or something. I'll just like stack a bunch of trumpets uh -huh. in a way that doesn't really sound like a trumpet. Um, Cause strangely enough, I don't love the way a trumpet sounds. It's just like an instrument that I fell into playing. Right. Um, and I really love saxophone and I don't play saxophone. So that's been like one of the big ones that I uh, have shopped out to some of my friends. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Interesting. The um, I guess the idea of, you know, live music and everything, how, you know, how detrimental has that been to sort of, you know, your approach to music and what you, you know, were doing before the whole pandemic and before this all happened, you know, how, yeah. How heavy was it to sort of lose the concept of performing live and doing shows? I think that, you know, it was, it was hard, but also it was kind of perfect timing. Like I had been playing so many shows for like three years, just like going all in. And I think that I was maybe starting to burn out a little bit on yeah. that front. Um, and, you know, my whole life really became music for a while and that felt really good in some ways, but then also like not great in other ways. 
um i think to like have your whole life kind of defined by like that one thing that you're really like chasing Mm -hmm. so um it's been it's been all right honestly uh with regards to like not having that because it's given me a chance to like reconnect with other things that i get enjoyment from that i like didn't really have time for before and just you know creating kind of like a life that has a lot of music but maybe isn't like all music all the time and i think like a lot of musician friends that i've talked to have had similar experiences uh because like going to shows was just like the only social thing that we did (laughs) (laughs) like if it's our show or our friend show or something and without that everyone's kind of just like well who else am i yeah um and it's been a good time for that sure that's awesome that's a super cool way of looking at it that's rad they have interviewed like a few musicians and or a decent amount but they always are very like you know heartbroken in a way but i feel like they're in a different stage of their thing you know where that's sort of like starting out and having to perform and do shows and that was sort of like how they kind of build their audience and they're sort of at that period of time where they're like oh shows are how i you know create an audience and with that yeah. takeaway is tough but and i think if this had happened like two years ago i it would have been a lot harder yeah um but i feel like for where i'm at right now it's okay and i feel very lucky that that is my situation sure cool man well, uh, that's kind of all our time for the interview. I wanted to, you know, just if you wanted to sort of like plug where people can listen to your, you know, your music and get connected with you and sort of like, you know, see what you're doing and what you're up to. And uh, Yeah. Um, you know, all, all my music is on Bandcamp and like whatever streaming service you like, but uh big ups to Bandcamp. So runner with three ends dot bandcamp.com. Um, and then I'm on Instagram uh, at runner underscore music. And that's where I'll be posting updates and stuff. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again. I appreciate yeah. your uh, time and sitting down with me and I'm stoked for, you know, what you got coming up this year. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Double Life. To stay up to date on what's happening with Noah and the group Runner, you can follow them on Instagram and social media at runner underscore music. That's runner with three N's. You can also follow them on Patreon at runner as well. You can stay up to date with what's going on with us. Follow us at The Double Life Pod. Make sure to subscribe and we'll see you next week.